As we start worship this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we are grateful that in all ways, in all places, at all times, you are there. Even in those moments when we feel like uh, maybe we have been abandoned, left alone, we know the reality is that you are there. There is no place that we can go that you have not gone before us. The highest mountains, the deepest valleys, the darkest shadows. If we have eyes to see, you are there. Lord, give us eyes to see because we need you. We need you. We need to know that we are not alone. We need to see Jesus in each other. As we gather in this place for worship and we look at our neighbor to the left and right and in front and in back, help us to see Jesus. Help us to be Jesus for other people, especially when they need it most. Because you have called us to be your hands and feet in this place. Lord, that is a monumental task, but we know that it, ultimately it's not us doing the work. It's just us submitting to you working through us. And we are so grateful. Lord, we want to trust in you, but we also want to confess that we have not trusted in you this week. There have been ways and places in which we have failed to show your love. Ways and places in which we have turned away from the needs of others. That we have not given you our full devotion. That we have put other things before you. Social media, work, whatever it is, our family, we have put other things before you. Lord, we ask you to forgive us, cleanse us from all things that separate us from you. Because as we come into this place to worship, we want to be completely and totally connected to you. Nothing, nothing hindering that relationship. Help us to be present and focused. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear that still, small voice this morning as we gather. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. We thank you that we can come to this place and it's a new day. It's a new time to worship. Lord, we lift to you names and situations that are heaviest on our hearts this morning. Things that also distract us from being totally present and and able to worship in spirit and truth. Lord, we lift those names to you now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 David and Lisa Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. May us walk 98 and 99 in the teams. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 
the entire United States. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, I know there are probably so many more that are unspoken this morning. We lift them all to you. You know them intimately, just as you know us intimately. You know the best thing for each and every situation. We trust you in that. We lift to you not just, not just our loved ones, our family members and friends and co-workers, but even beyond, beyond this place, Lord, because there are areas that are war-torn, famine-stricken, without hope. We lift them all to you. We pray that we could be a presence in this world the light of Christ that somehow makes a difference, even if it's just one person at a time. Lord, we give all praise and thanks to you. You are worthy of all worship. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to invite our children to come forward for a very fun and special children's time this morning. Before we dismiss you all to Children's Church, I wanted to talk a little bit about what our sermon is going to be about this morning. Come on up, guys. I have a very special prop with me today, and Miss Kaylee is being very, very careful with it because normally we don't open umbrellas inside, right? Because that's a safety issue. So wait just a minute. We're just going to do it today because it makes a really, really good point about what we're talking about. So Kaylee, you're going to stand over here with our umbrella. And let's see, we're going to have this group. You guys are going to stand over here with me. Okay, so let's pretend it's raining. I know we're inside. Jay pointed that out to me during first service. But let's pretend we're outside and it's raining and the only person with an umbrella is Kaylee. What could Kaylee do? Share. Okay, so let's all share. You ready? Okay. Let's huddle under here. Okay, it's not quite big enough, right? Okay, but did you know that God's umbrella is big enough to cover all of us and all of our sin with grace? Isn't that pretty cool? He has like the most giant umbrella. Now, here's the thing. Today in our story, there is somebody who needs help. Her name is Ruth. And she is brave enough to go, hey, I'm over here and I'm getting rained on and I need help. And then what can someone do? Someone comes along and covers her with his cloak, not his umbrella. Um, his name is Boaz. But yes, yeah, so he comes and he shares. Sometimes we're the person with the umbrella, like Kaylee. And sometimes we're the person without an umbrella that's getting rained on that we have to come and ask for help, right? But both times we can call on God and God can cover us with the giant umbrella of his love and grace, right? Sound good? All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Would you guys pray with me today? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's put our hands together. And would you guys pray after me, please? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for covering us with your giant umbrella of grace. Help us to help others when they are getting rained on too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job, guys. Let's head to Children's Church. Have fun, y'all. So let's read about this uh, story she just referred to. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as these scriptures are read and a word proclaimed, we might receive with joy those things which you have for us today. Amen. 
and amen. We are in Ruth chapter 3. We're making our way through the book of Ruth. There's only four chapters, so we're reading the whole thing. Chapter 3, listen to the words of these ancient scriptures. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, to Ruth, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here's our kinsman, Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, It must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, Bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law, who said, How did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, he gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Amen. Well, we are continuing our journey with Ruth. You know, last week we got a chance to talk a little bit about stereotypes and bias and how... Uh, hanging out with the right or the wrong people actually uh, starts to break down some of those stereotypes. There is another stereotype that uh, has made its way around. It may just be true. I don't know. You all can tell me. Uh, I have heard it said that if a man gets lost, he will not stop to ask for directions. Is that a true stereotype? No. Gene says no. That's not true. Huh? You explore. Yeah, you explore. We're challenging our own minds. Yes, working out that inner GPS in the brain, just developing that, right? I don't know if that stereotype is true. Yeah, well, right. There you go. 
It may be true, but I, but I think just in general, in all seriousness, I think in general, we, particularly here in America, we have trouble asking for help. We, we, we have trouble stopping and asking people for help. I came across this study that was uh, recently done that said that 73% of Americans, when starting something new, a new project or something, 73% of Americans avoid asking for help at the beginning. Now, over half of those might ask for help, but they wait until it starts to become too overwhelming. Whatever it is that they're taking on, they wait until they've bitten off more than they can chew, and then they ask for help. 8% of people ask for help, but only when it's too late, and it can't, they can't continue. All right, they've, they've hit a brick wall, and now it's over, and then they ask for help. 13% of people, of those 73%, say they never ask for help at all. So I, I think it's probably fair to say, if, the, if this study is true, we have trouble asking for help. Nora Bouchard, she wrote a book called Mayday, Asking for Help in Times of Need. She says, people are hardwired to want to do things on their own and be independent-minded. Asking for help often makes people feel uneasy because it requires surrendering control to someone else. I hear that. Another fear is being perceived as needy. We don't want to be ashamed of our situation or come across as incompetent. So we work really hard to make sure people don't see us this way. This is a problem that we have. We do not want to ask for help, at least each other. It's interesting because we come to church, and one of the things that we do quite often is we go to God in prayer and ask God for all kinds of help, but we're hesitant when it comes to asking each other. Ruth now has finished the harvest season. Uh, she worked in Boaz's field, gleaning what was uh, left over as the harvesters were working their way through. Harvest is done. Now it's time to process the grain. So they take it to this threshing floor. I don't know if you've ever seen a video of how this is done, but they, they take the stalks and they beat it on the floor, and then they take a big fork, and they'll scoop it up and toss it up in the air, and the chaff gets blown away in the wind and leaves the usable grain. So this is what's happening and Naomi decides it's time to be a little matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Right? She says, Ruth, I've got a plan. Because Boaz is working late in the, in the threshing floor tonight. I want you to go. I want you to get all gussied up. I want you to put on your best perfume. Wash your face. Put on a nice dress. And then I want you to go and wait till Boaz lays down. Uncover his feet, strange, uncover his feet and lay down beside him and then wait until Boaz tells you what to do. Boaz is going to tell you what to do. This is really interesting. Now, there are a lot of different things we could talk about because this is a strange passage of Scripture. And if you look at commentaries, they're all over the place. What we're not going to talk about today, we're not going to talk about uh, the ethical problem that society, particular ancient societies, uh, created where women have no power other than to have male babies because males hold all the power. And so your only power is to hope and pray that you have a male baby that can then hold the property and hold the wealth and continue on and you'll, you'll be covered, right? Uh, it, it, the problem is that Naomi and Ruth have to find a man 
to secure their future. So we're not going to talk about that ethical problem, even though that we could preach a whole sermon on that. We're also not going to talk about what exactly was Naomi asking Ruth to do. What does it mean to uncover the feet of Boaz? We're not going to talk about that uh, because we don't really know. But if this was some kind of an advance, you know what I'm talking about, some kind of, a, some kind of an advance, it only points to the problem, uh, the ethical problem that I'm bringing up in the first place where women... Uh, have to kind of resort to certain things to make sure that they're safe. And I don't know that that's a problem that's gone away in our society even today. But here's what we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about the fact that Ruth said that she would do everything Naomi said, and it looked like she was going to, but then she did not follow all the instructions because Naomi said, after you've done this, wait until Boaz tells you what to do. And Naomi and Ruth did not do that. Actually, Ruth did something that I thought was pretty bold. Instead of waiting for Boaz to say, do this, 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 whatever it was that she was there for, she actually took the bull by the horns and she said, Boaz, I need you to help me. I need you to marry me. Now, did you hear it? Did you catch it when I read the scriptures? You're probably thinking, she never asked, what are you talking about? She never said, marry me. She said something about a cloak. Yes, right. Look at this. Verse 9. He says, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. Now, that phrase there, spread your cloak over me, that's a Jewish idiom, which means marry me. In fact, the Hebrew word for cloak is also translated wing, in the Old Testament, about an equal number of times. Spread your wing over me. Spread your cloak over me. The whole idea is take me into your household. Cover me. Protect me. Make me your wife. It's the same phrase that God uses. Uh, it's interesting. In Ezekiel 16, uh, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, describing how he covered Israel with his cloak or his wing and entered into a marriage covenant with the nation of Israel. It's the same idea. So Boaz knows exactly what's being asked here. This is bold, folks. This is a bold move. I mean, especially so long ago. Ruth is being extremely vulnerable. She's asking for help, but she's taking the initiative and doing something that is usually reserved for the man to do, right? Even in today's society, who is the one who's supposed to propose? It's the man. Ruth is way, way outside the, the, the norms here by asking Boaz to marry her. But she's essentially saying, I need you to step up and do the right thing here. Because Naomi and I are completely vulnerable. We are without protection. I need you to spread your cloak over me and over us. Take us into your household. Secure our future. Now, if you know... Uh, Jewish law, or if, you, if you ever read anything about it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in Jewish law, if a woman's husband died and she was left childless, the next nearest relative of the family could uh, marry that widow, produce heirs, preferably male heirs, but in the name of the dead man. Okay, does that make sense? So that the son then who was produced, could carry on the family name. So if I had a field out here, 
uh, and uh, I passed away, and Elena was left childless. Elena could have a child with the next nearest relative in my name, and that child would then inherit the, the field. It would be Jimmy Calvert's field inherited by his children, which were produced. So this was like a Jewish law that kind of helped offer some protections. And Boaz, because Boaz is a man of character, and because I think that Boaz actually has had a change of heart. His heart has been softened by what we talked about last week, this personal exposure to a Moabite woman who has just kind of shattered all of his stereotypes and biases of what, uh, what a, a Moabite's supposed to be like. Boaz says, you have shown such loyalty to Naomi. The fact that you're not even seeking out a younger a husband, somebody to secure the future. You're coming after an old man like me. You are so loyal. I want to be loyal to you. I want to do the right thing. And so he agrees to her proposal. And he agrees to stand in for Ruth's deceased husband so that Elimelech's estate can be secured and held. And so Ruth has taken a real gamble here, but it seems like it's paid off. She has asked for help. And it has paid off. You know, I love this country. I think the United States is uh, the best country probably on the planet. I love the fact that it was founded on this idea, this principle that every single person should be free to pursue their own individual happiness. That, that is the ideal. And I think it's noble, but... I wonder sometimes if the has swung a little bit too far because at least here, and maybe you'll, you'll agree with this, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, working hard and pulling yourself up, becoming successful, that's seen as a virtue. But if you need help, if you're asking for help or receiving help, that can be seen as a little bit shameful. And so if you are one of those who receives assistance in this country, you certainly don't shout it from the rooftops. You don't let people know that you are receiving help. And I think about family and friends that I have. Even right now, this week has been particularly hard because I, I, I've got some, some folks that I love very dearly that are struggling right now with what I think is a, a, a deep sense of aloneness, not loneliness, it's not that they're not surrounded by people, but a feeling of being alone. Alone to figure out what the meaning of life is and how you're supposed to navigate it. I've got some that are finding all the success that we count as success. All the money, all the cars, the houses, whatever, and they still have a sense of emptiness. And then I've got other people really close to me that are just kind of falling through the cracks. They don't really know where they fit in in this society. Uh, they just feel different and alone. But I look at all these people and the common denominator between all of them is that all of them refuse to admit that they need help. I'm speaking very uh, frank with you this morning. Um, I, can't, I can't say the names out loud, but these are people that I love. And some of us have tried to reach out and say, you need help, let us help you. But that's so far removed from their experience, they don't even want to admit. And so they struggle alone, or they think that they are alone. I was looking at 
the suicide rate in the United States. Do you know it's at an all-time high right now? Do you know that the suicide rate in the United States has gone up by 30% in the last 20 years? Folks, this idea of rugged individualism, that everybody is free to choose their own path, I think it's good on paper, but I think it's failing us. Because we're not meant to be a bunch of individuals running around trying to make it on our own. We're not supposed to be ashamed to admit that we need help and to ask for help. But because we are ashamed and we don't, it's killing us. I was thinking about Jesus before he was crucified, how he went out into the garden. And he had that moment. You guys know what moment I'm talking about. Just, just deep, deep anxiety, deep uh, fear, whatever you want to call it. His sweat was like drops of blood, like he was sweating, you know, blood. This was a real serious moment for Jesus. And Jesus in that moment was vulnerable with his disciples. And he turned to them and he said, look, I just need to let you know that my spirit is grieved beyond anything that I don't think I can bear. Like, I'm grieved to the point of death here. I need your help. We all stay awake with me. We all just, just pray with me and stay awake. If Boaz was pleased to help Ruth, the disciples were a different story because they didn't respond quite the same way that Boaz did. I don't know if it wasn't that they didn't take the request seriously. Whatever the reason, they just kept falling asleep. And Jesus kept going over saying, hey, this is serious. Will you please stay awake with me? And time and time again, they kept falling asleep. And they left Jesus to wrestle with his own fears and anxieties and a feeling of aloneness. I mean, if we're going to be serious about this, choosing to drop your guard and ask for help, it may not always work out for you. I mean, it worked for Ruth. Ruth was vulnerable. She asked for help in a very bold way, and Boaz responded, but the disciples, not so much. But if our Lord is not above asking for help, that tells me we can't be either. If the Lord asks for help, we've got to ask for help. Because if we are better together, as I think the scriptures teach us that we are better together, (laughs) if we're made to be in community because that mirrors the Trinity itself, then living out our faith must include both giving and receiving grace, both helping and asking for help. So like Emily said in in the children's sermon, if you're the one holding the umbrella, fantastic. Help people. If people are asking you for help, take that seriously because you all know how hard it is to ask for help when you need it. If somebody's asking you, it means they're probably either in that 8% that's asking because they've hit a brick wall and they have no other choices left, or they're in that 52% that's, you know, they've, they've bitten off more than they can chew. 
People don't naturally ask for help up front. They're asking for help. It's a serious time. So don't humiliate them. Just lend your umbrella. But if you're a person without the umbrella, I'm telling you now, you've got to learn to ask for help. You've got to learn to ask for help before it's too late. Might you be ignored? Sure, absolutely. You might have to find somebody else to ask. Might you be humiliated? Sure, it's a risk that you take. But the alternative is to not ask and then get in over your head. And if, if you can find the strength to drop your guard and go to someone and say, look, I, I need help here, maybe, just maybe, you might open the door to new blessing. To new blessing both for you and for the giver. As we'll see in this Boaz, Ruth, Naomi story as it folds out next week, unfolds, we're going to see the blessing that opened up for all people, really even for us today, because Ruth asked for help. You know, the Beatles said, all you need is love. They also said something else. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed help in any way. But now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you coming round. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? I knew the Beatles were smart. See, that's why I named my son Lennon. The Beatles were theologians. We didn't even know it. Folks, this, uh, this Ruth lady, this, this Moabite lady who showed extreme loyalty and chose to leave her country and come to a land she did not know to love and serve her mother-in-law, who was bold enough to ask Boaz to step up and do the right thing rather than wait for him to figure it out or suggest something else. Ruth is giving us food for thought here. Like this is stuff that we can chew on for days and days and days. This is what it looks like to live as those who are made in the image of God. You cannot do life alone. One of the core principles of this church, you cannot do life alone. So get over it. Lean on each other. These folks, they love you. I love you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. We are better together. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us as we struggle through life. We have got to reverse that suicide rate. Folks just getting to the point where it's just easier to give up than to admit they need help. And we can fall into that same category so easy. We're, we're no better than anybody else. Why, Lord? Why, why are we so hesitant to ask for help? Lord, we see Ruth's boldness. We see the vulnerability of Jesus in the garden. And we know that you have given us this community right here and right now to be not just the hands and feet of Jesus, but the shoulders that we lean on. 
the people that we look to in our time of need. Help us not to be ashamed. And for those who are in positions to help, help us to look with compassion upon those who need our help. May we show the world that there can be a different way. That yes, while we are free to pursue our own individual happiness, there is something about the church that looks and feels very different. Give us the strength, Lord, to be a family, to love and care for each other in all ways and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved. It'll take a lifetime to figure out what it means to be perfectly loved, but you are perfectly loved completely forgiven and uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do that, no doubt you will make some mistakes because we all do. But when you make those mistakes, it doesn't change how God feels about you because God's love is not dependent upon your performance. God's love is based in His amazing grace. And by grace, He looks at you and says, wow. You are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And if you left here believing that, everything would change tomorrow. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.